Hello and welcome to episode 259 of the Mark and Me podcast. As always, I'm your host Mark. Now joining me on today's episode is the guitarist from the amazing band Periphery. Yes, I'm joined by Mark Holcomb. Mark is absolutely brilliant, so fascinating, and this chat for me is one of my favourites I've done this year. He's a legend, we hit it off straight away, and I'm just an absolute pleasure to welcome him to Mark and Me, so I can't wait to share that interview with you in just a couple of moments' time. But let's just touch base and talk about my last episode. On episode 258, which only came out a couple of days ago, I was joined by Eric Butler from the amazing band Mum Jeans. Also one of my favourite interviews I've done this year. Really upbeat, really confident. And the good thing about Mark and me is I get to see all the response that comes through on social media. And I've seen so many tweets and Facebook comments from people now that have discovered bum jeans and absolutely loving them. And for me, that's the best thing that I can get from a podcast. If I recommend something and you guys go and enjoy it, then I've done my job well. But today it's all about one of the best bands on the scene right now, Periphery. Honestly, they're absolutely amazing. I've spent the last couple of weeks listening to them. Their brand new album is out now. It's called Periphery 5, Gent is Not a Genre. And it's amazing. Between Periphery and Sleep Token, nothing else has kind of took my attention over the last few weeks. And these bands are amazing. And I'm so glad they're going to be playing together in the UK in July. We're going to be absolutely spoiled. But after today's interview, go and check out the new album. It's absolutely brilliant. And just before we get to the interview, I want to give a big shout out to the sponsor of this podcast, Richer Sounds. If you're in the market for a brand new TV or a Sonos system, an amp or whatever you want within the home cinema world, go and check them out. RicherSounds.com. They're the best people out there. And because of them, they help this podcast grow even further. And I'm a proud partner of those guys. So thanks again for supporting Mark and me. But today it's all about Mark Holcomb and I can't wait to share it. So I think the best thing to do is to get straight to it. So here's me and Mark talking all things music. So Mark, thanks for joining me today on the Mark and Me podcast. Yeah, thanks for having me. It's a it's an absolute pleasure, man. Uh, we're in the midst of tour and um, yeah, we've just been playing shows every single day and uh, it's nice to get a bit of a preview from that and just uh, just have a nice <laughs> chill conversation. That sounds good to me. Well, to start it off, um, what I like to do with all my guests is take it right back to the very start. So talk to me about when you were growing up, those first albums that you remember buying that kind of shaped the music of the bands you listen to today. Oh, man. Yeah, I'm a 90s kid. I was born in 1982. Me too. And uh, Oh, really? We're both called wow, Mark we're... and we're both born in 82. Oh, my gosh. Uh, I'm are you you're not Filipino are you because that would be too much I'd no to. I'm not that's the okay. one bit where okay. I fall <laughs> okay 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 damn um yeah okay so you you know where I come from I, I was a 90s kid so a lot of the media that I ingested and you know and, and therefore became a part of who I am now um is from the 90s like the early 90s mid 90s and um I remember the first time I fell in love with um music and the idea of perhaps trying to become a musician was I saw a Foo Fighters performance on MTV back when MTV showed music on their channel and um, the good old they days. performed the good old days right um, they performed their first record in its entirety the one with the gun on it yep and I I was so blown away by Dave Grohl's charisma and like it's just he just looked in control he had this like sense of power and charisma to him and I was like oh man 
I want to learn guitar. And that was what made me learn guitar. Um, and granted, my, my mom had like introduced me to like Prince and Phil Collins and Genesis and Depeche Mode and Duran Duran and all the cool 80s music, which I still like now. Um, but in the 90s, that's when I sort of, you know, that Foo Fighters thing I saw was what made me sort of gravitate slowly towards rock and like wanting to learn rock guitar and metal guitar and the floodgates open. And from there it was Alice in Chains and from there it was Nirvana, Metallica. Um, and, uh, and then, yeah, on to more extreme stuff, but that, that, those were kind of the formative years for me. I mean, there's some incredible bands there and the foundations you've mentioned, stuff like Alice in Chains and that first Foo Fighters record. I remember, um, this is a call, cool, the first single they released, there's so much energy in the production and everything. I was like, this band's going to be absolutely huge, but, um, I think yeah. it all ch- I think it all changes when you go and see a band live. So can you remember that first gig you went to when you kind of remember your ribcage shaking and the hairs on your neck sticking up and you got all excited by seeing maybe one of those bands yeah. that you loved then take it to the stage and show just what live music's all about? Mine was a good one. And a lot of people, you ask that question, a lot of people, and they have really lame ones, you know? Like, I think a lot of the people uh, that come on the podcast lie. I think they try and make it sound cooler. <laughs> so they're like, oh, it was Metallica, but really it was like Miley Cyrus or something. <laughs> Miley Cyrus. Their first concert was like five years ago. Yeah, uh, watching Miley Cyrus. Uh, mine. This is no lie. Mine was um, seeing U two headlining in San Diego in a stadium, in a baseball stadium, and they had a Rage Against the Machine opening for them. Oh my god! Uh, yeah, it was the pop tour. U two was supporting the pop record, uh, and I didn't know who Rage Against the Machine was, so. My parents took me because they wanted to see YouTube perform live. And uh, yeah, Rage came on and I was like, what is this? Like, I didn't know what it was. It was I didn't know you were allowed to rap over rock music, you know? Um, and then YouTube came on and, you know, I'll never forget hearing, you know, 40,000 people sing Where the Streets Have No Name at the top of their lungs. It was it's something I'll never forget. Like, I didn't even know the music, but I had goosebumps. And it feels like just, a real yeah. mix match that does like Rage Against Machine coming on and playing stuff like Killing the Name of and Bond Track and all these really heavy mm-hmm. tracks. And then, you know, mm-hmm. um, One and uh, The Streets Have No Name yep. and all this. It just seems such a contrast. Well, I think I think um, I think Bono was doing was was involved a lot in like, you know, just political activity at the time, like championing uh, certain causes that he was uh he was supporting and I, I think i think you know rage kind of lined up with what they were trying to accomplish um on the political side of things and uh, that that was to me the only common thread that i could put together logically the older i got you know like why did that make sense at all but i think that was it unbelievable though i mean i don't know how you really go on from that if you started on such a high like two of the biggest bands yeah. in the world where where'd you go from there well it's just like that show was super important to me because I, I didn't realize the power that music had, like you know, to unite so many people, to get so many people singing the same damn thing, young people, old people. And like, I still think of that moment a lot, like hearing that for the first time. So yeah, you're right. Like it was kind of everything else was downhill from there, but I'm glad that was my first because it just showed me like how music can do the impossible, you know, you just unite so many people um, and bring them all together. But yeah, from there, like, you know, I, I think the next one I saw, the next concert I saw was when I fell in love with Metallica. My, my father took me to go see um, Metallica play somewhere in Southern California um, a bunch of years later. And um, yeah, I mean, that, that's, I'm obsessed with Metallica. I'm still obsessed with Metallica. Um, so yeah, that, they're, they're an all-timer band for me. 
I'm absolutely loving their new music as well. It seems like it's been so long since we've been able to hear new music from Metallica, but the three singles they've put out so far, I'm really excited for a new album. Yeah, yeah, they put out that first one. Um, what was it called? The, the Thrashing. I'm really like rubbish old... with track names, but... Uh, Me too. Yeah, it, I, I just you know the sound. It sounds old school again. Yeah, yeah, and before they released it, I was like listening to a lot of like Merciful Fate uh, and like stuff from the early 80s and and they put that out and I was like, oh my gosh, this sounds like Garage Days. You know, it sounds like them covering one of their biggest influences. And I just, I just love, I, I love that first track. I haven't heard the subsequent two, but uh, that first one really, really uh, made me pretty happy. So, so was it quite young that you started picking up a guitar and playing yourself? Was it a kind of college or school band that you kind of wanted to be in a band or was it later on in life? I was 13. I was 13. Um, I was a basketball player. I, I loved basketball. I still love basketball, but that was kind of all I did. Um, you know, that was my, my biggest hobby in life. I wanted to go to college and play basketball in college and I wanted to make it my life. And then I tore ligaments in my knee. Um, so I was hobbled, you know, for a good couple months, it was actually a pretty bad knee injury and I needed something else to do. So I picked up guitar. Um, and again, tried to learn those Foo Fighters songs from the documentary I saw. I was, yeah, I was 13 years old. I took two or three lessons um, and that was it. Um, so, yeah, I mean, I didn't start super young, but, you know, it, it was young enough to where I didn't have really much else going on. You know, I had the luxury of being <laughs> semi-crippled at home to where, like, I, I was, I, I couldn't even be tempted to go outside and, like, not play guitar. So I, I think that's what, like, forced me to play so much guitar is that like I, I didn't really do a whole lot of moving around because of my injury in the very beginning so I learned to love it pretty quick and with that I mean did you ever just want to just play guitar and just be that guy that would sit at home or did you always have that vision to want to be with other like-minded musicians and get out there and tour and do the whole band thing I mean from very early on I realized that the odds of me doing anything substantial with music like as far as career goes were slim to none. Um just cuz I went to high school. I started high school in Southern California, like a couple hours from Los Angeles, and then I finished high school in Spain. My family moved to Spain um in 1999. Um and what I learned was that every school every environment that you were in, there were just tons of local bands or tons of competition and everybody wanted to be the next, you know, Pantera. Everybody wanted to be the next Limp Biscuit because I was popular at the time. Um, and everybody had these just, you know, just grandiose aspirations. And what I gathered from that, I was like, wow, well, if everybody else is trying this hard, I'm probably not going to make it. So I'm just going to stay home and like learn all my favorite songs and maybe write a couple songs and find a couple like-minded people I can perform with and just, you know, just, just fuck around in a garage, you know, just have fun. Um, I didn't really think anything could happen or, or would happen. Um, and I think, I think that realization sort of made me much more realistic about what's possible, you know? And, I think it established this connection with music in which I never looked at it as a viable career path. So as a consequence of that, I really fell in love with it for like the sort of nuts and bolts reasons, you know, like I, I fell in love with writing. I fell in love with the feeling of playing a power chord, of hearing a power chord through a big amp. Like I fell in love with the little things about it. 
um, as opposed to like, oh, you know, I want to play stadiums. I want to do it to get women. I want to do it to get free alcohol. I want to do it to, you know, like a lot of the sort of superficial reasons, um, you know, that were around in the 80s, I think, um, and and 90s. But like for me, I never I never considered it a viable career path. So, you know, being in this position at this stage of my life is the happiest accident of all time. But I, I think having those reasons to love it uh, is by far the healthiest because that way you're not tricking yourself and you're also not putting any you know false expectations on the table. You're doing it for the love of every tiny little thing about it, if that makes any sense. No, massively. And I think the, the fact it's kind of got that passion of you and the, the drive that you want to do it all for the right reasons is why it's being successful because it's sincere. Um, and people can hear that. People can yeah, hear like, it. Massively. Yeah. And I, that's, that's what I've said a lot of on the interviews I've done is when I'm speaking to some bands, I've spoke to bands that have come back after so many years and they do like a reunion tour and it's, you can tell they're not doing it because they want to do it for the music. They're doing it because they've got, you know, a tax bill or a divorce bill, or there's just lots of other reasons. And as a fan being in a crowd at a festival or a gig, I don't think bands realize how transparent it is if your heart and soul isn't into it. Yeah. Yeah. You're, you're so right. And, and fans are not idiots. And especially, especially our, our fans, like our, our fans, <laughs> not only are they very analytically minded when it comes to the content of our music, but like, you know, they, they, you know, like people know when their artists, when their favorite artists are being insincere with their music and that's when it all starts to roll downhill. So for us, that's, that's objective. Number one is always be honest and always be authentic. So, so when you were young and you were playing guitar and you want to be with like-minded people and you never actually thought to yourself, it could be a career. Did you get the support from your family when you did try and take that kind of conscious choice to then go out there and try and be successful free music? Because for some parents, I suppose, turning around and saying something like, mom, dad, I'm going to be a guitarist in a band isn't the most secure career path, is it? You know, it's quite frightening. I'm sure they're like, well, go and get a real job first. And if not, you know, then you've got yeah. your guitar. They're, they were they were amazing from the start and like they always were so happy every time you know i played guitar because i could have been doing other things i could have been out on the street i could have been you know like messing around with drugs at a young age i could have been drinking i could have been doing other stuff so they, they were always happy to see me sink my free time into guitar um i was i was moved out um of, of my parents by the time i you know i realized that music could be a viable career choice like when periphery took off in the beginning and when it started to become a serious thing, um, I was employed at the Peace Corps at the U S government in Washington, DC. And I, it was a steady job. I was getting paid decently. Um, uh, my wife and I had a stable, you know, living, like we lived in an apartment in Washington, DC. She had a job, uh, you know, I was comfortably employed at health insurance. Like, you know, everything was kind of lined up as far as like wanting to be a real adult. Yeah. Um, and, and then the periphery thing started taking off. It was like, okay, well, this could be something. There's not going to be any money in it because, at, you know, in those days we were losing money. We were bleeding money on tours. There was just nothing in it. But, you know, I've always wanted to try it. I've always wanted to do it. It's my dream, you know, to, 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 to give this a real proper shot. Um, and I took a leap of faith and, you know, my, my, my girlfriend at the time, she's not my wife. She, she was very supportive in the beginning. My family was very supportive uh, from afar and they, they just said, do it. And I, I left all that security on the table. I left the money on the table 
to go try this pipe dream, you know, this, this, this kid's dream. Uh, and fortunately it turned out to be something. Um, but I would have done it either way, even if I didn't think it'd be anything like I had to try it, you know, I, I life's too short to, to say no to opportunities, which, you know, you dream of as a child. When you're in a band, and it must be quite difficult when you're actually in the actual band itself to have a kind of outsider view on it, but did you notice the way that your band grew over time? Did you see yourself going further up on the posters and seeing the crowds getting bigger and more people singing along and then seeing your say, CDs and merch sales going up? Or was it kind of all too much of a blur because it was happening over such a vast amount of time? Yeah, yeah. So, sometimes there are jarring moments where it's like, oh my gosh, like I remember the first time we played Germany, people were chant like yelling, go home between songs. Like people did not like us in Germany. And it was like every market there. <laughs> um, it, we were just not well received. And we were like, oh my gosh, like what do we do about this market? Do we not come back? Do we continue to put in the work? And we were advised by our booking agent and our manager, you know, to keep going out there and just keep watering the plants, so to speak. And every time we came back, the crowds would get less hostile and the rooms would pack out a bit more. And now, you know, 2023, every time we go back, the rooms are just frantic, you know, and the, the, there's so much fervor in the crowd and everybody's just, it's a wild show every time we play Germany and it's one of our favorite markets on the planet. So that is one of those markets that you see a discernible, um, you know, piece of progress and, 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 and evidence that, you know, you are growing with all, you know, like with all the work that you're putting in there over the years. Um, yeah, there, there are some markets in some other ways, though, where it's just like you lose track of the growth. Like, you know, people, places like England and places like Australia have been there from us for the start, from the start. So it feels like we haven't had to put in work to, to have our English fans show up and have our Australian fans show up. Like for some reason, you, you guys have been there for us from the start. Uh, so go figure. Yeah, it's a, kind of a mixed bag, depending on where in the, in the world you're talking about. And the band's been going, it's not too far off 20 years, is it now? Looking at the um, kind of the starting point of when you first released your first music, I think it's 18 years ago. Yeah, wow. That's scary, um, isn't it? But um, I've had bands on yeah. recently like Brandon Boyd from Incubus and the guys from Feeder and... I'm always blown away when these bands can still keep writing great music and touring and they still seem hungry when you see them on stage and they've got that passion and drive. And what is it that's kind of inside you that makes you want to keep going and keep putting it out there? You know, you've got the success, you've got the record sales, you're seeing these amazing venues full every time you play, but what is it that makes you want to keep going out there and keep going? This sounds really cliche, but I, I do it for the people around me. Um, you know, obviously there's a very selfish side of this where in order for me to be happy, happy in life, you know, in a sustainable way, I had to be creative and I had to keep making music. Like that's part of me that I hope never dies. I don't think it ever will knock on wood. Um, so that's the selfish side of it. But to, to be able to, to, you know, learn from my bandmates, to collaborate with my bandmates, to, to work with the people I love most uh, on this planet, you know, family aside, um, I mean, they are my family, you know, yeah. and to be able to create something together and share something together and improve, like, you know, like you just said, 18 years, improve all these years later on something. And just to feel like 
we're doing it we're doing it better than ever for reasons maybe that we didn't do it 18 years ago or 10 years ago or five years ago. And these reasons change as we get older. You know, our, our drummer had a kid last year and, you know, we're all getting married. We're all settling, settling down. And I just turned 40. It's like, you know, we're all aging slowly. I don't think of us as like old guys yet, but like, you know, we're, our, our lives are evolving and one thing stays the same and that's music. And the reasons we do it may change, but I, I really do feel like it's one of those things where we can grow and evolve over the years and, you know, still have it be this beast that we feed, you know, and I, my goal, if you ask me is to be able to do this in 20 years, 25 years, and maybe the reasons will be different then. But uh, that's what it really just boils down to the people and like uh, the, the art and the people, the music comes first, right? Like the, the music always comes first, but, but hand in hand with that is the people that are involved with it. And and as we're speaking right now, you're touring, and correct me if I'm wrong, but you're touring with Underoath, who are incredible, but also one of my favorite bands at the moment, Loath, who are just yeah growing at such a rate. And you know, it's in the last twelve months, I've just seen their numbers going so high on Spotify. They're getting added to all the big festivals here in the UK, and everyone's talking about them. It must be such a great bill to be part of that. You've got these legendary acts, but you've also got these new kind of this new blood of music that's coming through that works so well with all three of you on stage with all those different dynamics every night. Yeah. It's a wonderful, it's a wonderful package. And when we got offered the tour by under oath, like we, so first of all, we've been wanting to tour with under oath for a while. Like we've known these guys dating back quite a bit. Um, their drummer, Aaron's always been a sweetheart to us and we knew it was going to happen. So we got the offer and we said, yeah. And then we found out Loathe was part of the package and they've been one of our favorite bands, uh, you know, since, probably before COVID, like 2018, 2019. And uh, we were like, okay, we got to do it because I agree with you. They're the new blood. Like in a year or two, they could be bigger than both of our bands. You know, um, they are doing some really special things. And it is cool like to see, you know, the new blood and to see what a band this young is capable of doing. And there's, there's, there's other great examples out there of just how how fiery some of this young talent is. Um, it's cool to witness up close and personal, and I, I kind of want to pick their brains. Well, well later in the year, uh, you're down, aren't you, to be playing in the UK um, at the Radar Festival, uh, which you're headlining, um, which is, I think, in, I think it's July. Yeah, yeah, July, uh, late July. Yeah, like and, and you're playing with one of my new favorite bands called Sleep Token. I don't know if you've had much time to check them out, but they are genuinely one of the most exciting bands on the planet. Yeah, they're they're another one. They actually they're those are the two bands that come to mind them and a band like Spirit Box. Um, yeah. Like you take a look at these like younger crop of bands like you know do, doing their own take on the, you know, the progressive gent thing, you know, the modern heavy metal played on seven and eight strings tuning down to god knows what note <laughs> and having these massive grooves with amazing production. Um and they're all doing their own take on that and and really just blowing everyone away and it's quite cool to see because if you take if you take a look at the music scene before covid um those bands weren't really making a lot of waves and 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 fast forward to what feels like not that much time later and they're dominating the industry it, it's cool to see um you know the torch being handed off and and sort of everybody taking notice and you know and, and it translating into honest to God, like good ticket sales, you know, people want to go out and see these bands. Um, and, uh, and yeah, it, it's just cool to watch. And I, I want to be part of that, you know, 
I want, I want, I want to learn something from these younger bands too. I'm, I'm, I'm sure um, I can, you know, check out Loathe a bunch in this tour. I haven't actually watched Loathe on this tour yet because I have this weird thing. When we start a tour, I don't like to watch opening bands uh, because I am so nervous and in my own head. I want to make sure that I can like do my own show first before I sort of like. Yeah, don't add I more sh- pressure onto yourself. Exactly, exactly. I don't want to have to one up a band like Loathe every night. You know, it's just like it can't be done. So I want yes. to stick to myself for like I, a I week. saw um I saw Sleep Token only a few months ago and they are just on another level to any band I've seen. The vocalist is as good as someone like Jeff Buckley live. It's mind blowing. It's absolutely mind blowing. And to see you two headlining in the UK is gonna be magical. It's gonna be so much fun. So do make sure you check out Sleep Token. Yeah, 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 we'll do. They're great. And with yourself, obviously, playing guitar, was there ever a day that you would never kind of believe or pinch yourself that you'd be sitting there with, you know, PRS guitars and sitting there and, you know, imagine yourself being that kid at 12 that was playing guitar, that you'd be later on having these guitars and everyone talking about you on this lineup of incredible legacy artists? It's crazy. Yeah, I never thought that stuff would be possible, man. And I, I still have to do it every day, remind myself uh, of that kind of stuff in order to, you know, uh, avoid becoming, you know, desensitized to these wonderful things. Uh, yeah, it's always been a dream, man. Like, I remember PRS, it was the unattainable expensive guitar for dentists on the wall at, the, <laughs> at, my, at my local guitar store. I never thought that I'd be able to play one, much less, you know, actually be a part of the PRS family and, you know, have my own guitars with them for 10 years now. Shit. Um yeah, it's, it's, it's wonderful. And again, like just it, the, the more I learn about a company like PRS with this just insane amount of prestige and then, you know, under the hood, they're basically like almost like a family run company. You know, it's a pretty small operation compared to what you think it's going to be. Um, and learning that it operates like that is very cool. Um, and learning how sort of malleable they are and how open they are to like, you know, building guitars for modern metal bands, you know, and just doing new things for, for, um, for artists like Periphery, who, you know, we're, we're not the biggest band in the world. You know, we, we play a very specific style of music, but they're on board with it and they get it and they understand it. So it's awesome. Yeah. It, it must be a dream. I remember, cause I'm obviously the same age as you. When I grew up, one of my favorite bands was Silverchair. And I remember Daniel Johns always had this guitar mm-hmm. with birds up the neck. And I always used to think, mm-hmm. what is that? Cause not everyone had them. You didn't see Jimi Hendrix with them or Eric Clapton. It was always Daniel Johns for me. And when I saw those guitars and I looked once at the price, I was like, oh my God, that's an absolute dream to have a guitar like that. Yeah. And, I remember uh, the t- tomorrow video, right? The, that's that the one. Yeah. On yes. yeah. Yeah. I saw it too. I saw it too. And then I saw, you know, bands like Linkin Park, they had them. Uh, and then I saw Cradle of Filth in the early 2000s and uh, Opeth had them. And I was like, oh, you can use these guitars for evil. Okay, cool. I'm going to do that too. Uh, yeah, that's when it started. It's amazing. And uh, the fact that you've actually got your name on one, I just, I don't think I could ever get my head around that. I think it's just too much to go and have like a signature model of such an incredible guitar with such a legacy. I, I still, honestly, I'd be pinching myself every day. Oh, thanks, man. I'm not even worthy. I just got lucky. <laughs> I feel like I'm, I'm just a lucky guy. Yeah, that's it. So, uh, so what is kind of next for you guys? Obviously, you've got a new album coming out, which is um, we as we're sitting here right now. I've been sent an an advanced copy, which I've just able to listen to. But as people are listening, they probably won't have heard it yet. It's out next week. But 
how does it feel to be getting out there and playing these shows at the moment and then incorporating new music and testing the crowd to see how it goes down? Because new music is always tough, isn't it? Because people want to hear the hits or the singles, but you probably as a band get the most kind of passion and drive out of playing new music. It must be exciting to see how these songs work when you've been working on them for so long. Yeah, yeah. It it is a little nerve-wracking because... You know, before the tour starts, you're like, oh, gosh, is this going to translate live? Um, and it's always a little stressful to have to learn new songs and get used to playing them in front of people when they're untested. But really, like, it's an exciting feeling. Um, and one thing we do is we, we try and make sure that we only play songs that people have heard in some capacity. So the two new songs we're playing are Wildfire and Atropos, songs that have been out for um a month and two weeks uh, respectively between the two songs. Uh, So people know the songs, maybe they're not as familiar with them as some of our old material, but um, one thing we definitely don't do is play songs that are not public yet because we've done that before. And the downside with that is the, you know, people's first impression with the song is some cell phone video taken from, (laughs) you know, the men's bathroom. um, And they're just like, oh, this song sucks. Well, it's like, you can't really hear what's going on. Uh, uh, yeah, I mean, it's, it's gone well. Like the, the, the reception in the new songs has actually been really, really satisfying. Um, especially the song Atropos. People seem to like that one live. Yeah, it's amazing. And, you know, I, I can't wait for you. Have, you. have you got any other plans at the moment to come to the UK? I know you've got this festival date, but are you trying to go and get some other dates around that? Or is it all kind of in talks at the moment? It's just that one. Uh, we want to come back soon after. Uh, like I was saying, like in England is just, it's probably, it's probably our best market on the planet. So we'll be back soon, man. We'll be back soon. Not around that festival, um, but we'll be back shortly thereafter. That's exciting. And what I do on the podcast to everyone that comes on, and I've had actors and directors and people like Anthony Hopkins, Kevin Smith, all these different guests. What I do is I ask the same question to end the podcast. And I think musicians find it the hardest because it's your career, but what I do is the outro piece of music that's played on the podcast is chosen by the guests. So you get to choose the very final piece of music that's played. Now it doesn't have to be one of your own pieces of music. It's something that means a lot to you, but is there a song that when I ask the question that comes to your heart, that has something that's personal to you that you would love to hear played at the end of today's interview? Oh, what kind of music can it be? You can have whatever you want. I've had people pick a 26-minute piece of music by Yoko Ono, which is a um, rare B-side. I've had people pick um, a piece of score from Interstellar, which is about nine minutes. And I've had people just pick a song by Pill Jam because that's a band that they used to adore. You know, it could be a bit of anything. Oh, man. Okay, so, all right. All right, here's one that I just listened to the other night, and it makes me very happy. It's not metal at all. but it's by an Icelandic pianist composer named Olafur Arnolds, if you know him. I don't. Um, and what I do love is when someone comes on and brings me something new, I'll then spend probably the next week down a rabbit hole listening to everything they've ever done. So, <laughs> Yeah, okay. Well, check out, check out Olafur Arnolds. Uh, his first name is spelled O-A-L, no, O-L-A-F-U-R, and then Arnolds, A-R-N-A-L-D-S. Um, and it's from his record called Remember. Uh, and the song is called Undir. It's U-N-D-I-R. Uh, that song is like, I think it's one of the most beautiful pieces of music uh, ever written. And I listen to it when I'm feeling anxiety. I listen to it when I want to relax. I'm listen- I just, I, it's just a gorgeous song. So, 
Oh, that's just good. This is what I like. Because some people pick the Beatles or the Rolling Stones, and that's great because they're classics, but you've heard those songs many times. Just discover something yeah. new and then hear something completely different is uh, genuinely music to my ears. Check it out. It's going to make you cry. Oh, wow. That's not, that's not what I want on a Sunday night. <laughs> Mark, it's been an absolute pleasure to have you on the podcast and uh I'm gonna be there at the Radar Festival. I can't wait to see you there. I can't wait to see Sleep Token and Loaf. You know, your friends now, they're gonna be there as well. And it just looks like an all round amazing few days. But not only that, with the release of your new album too. I just think it's a really exciting time for music again and I'm loving that there's so many bands that have come out of COVID now touring more than ever. So um I wish you all the luck with your new tour. I wish you all the luck with the new album. And uh, hopefully our paths will cross in Manchester and we can share a beer. Yeah, yeah. Come come say hi. Yeah, I would I'd do. love to, to meet you in person. Thank you for your time, Mark. It's been a pleasure. So there it is. There's my interview with me and Mark. What an amazing guy. So humble. Right now, I'm one of the best bands in the world. Genuinely released one of my contenders for the album of the year. And we're only in March. Just a lovely guest, and I can't wait, hopefully, to meet him in person when they come here in July. He's an absolute legend. The band you need to go and check out. If you haven't heard Periphery, get on Spotify or Apple Music or however you listen to your music and check them out. They are a band that are taking over the world, and rightfully so. They're just absolutely awesome, and there's no one else like them right now. The album, as I said, is out now. Go and check it out and then let me know on either Facebook, Twitter, Instagram or however you want to do. Maybe just even drop me an email, but let me know you're loving the album because then I know I'm doing my job well. Also, if you've really enjoyed today's episode, the podcast will always remain free, but please share it. If you're on Facebook, it's literally hit the share button. If you're on Twitter, hit the retweet button. And if you want to be really kind on Instagram, like it so I get more people to see it. Or put it as part of your stories. It really goes a long way. And especially with a band like Periphery that have such a great fan base. Those fans that might not know of Mark and me might see the logo or see the band picture. Check it out. And before you know it, they're listening to Mark and me each and every week. Which is a dream come true for me. I don't have all this money to invest in the podcast and go out there and pay for marketing or these adverts. I do it all through word of mouth. And it's worked till now, but I still need more people to hit that share button. All the links are on markandme.com and so is the link for my Patreon account. I can't do this podcast without your support. It's not a thing where I go and get all these amazing sponsors and get adverts. I try and keep it as organic and pure as I can. But I do need some support on Patreon. And each and every month for as little as just a pound a month, you're going to get exclusive episodes called The Lost Tapes, which are just for you guys at home that support me on Patreon. Not only that, you get a badge, you get stickers, you get updates, you get newsletters. And I'm really going to invest a lot more time in Patreon. So please, if you can afford just a pound or two every month, the link's on markandme.com and it goes all right back into the podcast and allows me to go out there, record interviews, host a podcast on all these services like Spotify and Apple Podcasts, and basically get more interviews for you guys at home. As always, I'll be back in only a few days' time with another brand new episode, and it's a huge one. Episode 260, and I can't wait to share it with you. But until then, look after yourself, take care, and I'll speak to you all very soon.